welcome to another episode of Christ in Context, a podcast dedicated to seeing Christ in all of Scripture and using all of Scripture to filter all of life. My name is Kevin, your host, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Welcome to the show. Hello, and welcome to episode 15 of Christ in Context. I'm joined once again with a really good friend of mine. His name is Luke. He does his own podcast, the Steady Anchor Podcast, and we just spent a weekend together. Well, most of the weekend together. Most of the weekend together. Yeah. I almost died. <laughs> That's uh, your own fault. Yeah. Your body just hates you. It does. So we were at the Doctrine and Devotion Conference. 2020. Of Covenant Theology with Sam Renahan as good the stuff. primary speaker. Really, really good stuff. Um, so because I have my friend from Steady Anchor Podcast, I also wanted to give a shout out to the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Yeah. Actually, like just before we started recording, they were sending some messages, like encouraging each other. And I just love the group. They're fantastic guys. They're so fun. They're also really funny. Um, so it is Assurance of Pardon, Bavcast, Distilling Theology, Fast God Stuff, Reformed Brotherhood, Reformed Pilgrim, Sipping on Theology, and of course, Study Anchor Podcast. Oh, and of course, of course, Christ, Christ in, in Context. context. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if you haven't, you can check them out um, at the Reformed Podcasts um, website, reformpodcasts.com. Make sure it's plural. If you just do reformpodcast.com, you get some weird stuff. Have you been to Reform Podcast? I've not. <laughs> I've heard Jesse warn people about it. Not it's, Tony. It's but. super weird. It's like some feminist, like deconstructionist type oh. of nonsense. It's wow. It's crazy. I typed it in. I was like, is this the right stuff? I don't know. <laughs> so don't go there. Don't go there. Reform Podcasts. Cod, pod, podcasts. Plural. There's yes. multiple of us. Many, um, many or much podcasts. There's the mega feed on Apple Podcasts. Whatever, whatever you listen to. Or you can check them out individually. I don't yes. Know. Great stuff. Yeah. I, I always am pleasantly surprised at all the stuff that we get through the network. Just with a, with a variety of shows that we have now, like all the ones that Kevin just listed, we all have our own styles. We all have our, our key focuses, all have our, our different perspectives and stuff. We come from... Uh, some of us are pastors. Some of us are just lay people in the church who love discussing the the Word of God and the things of God. Uh, some people who are studying ministry, like Kevin and I, we're in Bible college. There's other people who are in seminary and going even further than that. So we got a good range of people. And no matter what you listen to, you're, you're always going to find something good. Yeah, I was just listening to the Reformed Brotherhood, and Tony was like, yeah, we've got the full spectrum. We've got, like, on this end, on Christ in Context, we're doing a lot of exegetical a little bit more technical i mean i i can only get so technical because i only know so much yeah but um more on the exegetical side and then as we move along the spectrum it goes to kind of more theological um and then to pastoral and like Mm -hmm. uh caring for people so yeah like assurance of pardon they're two pastors a lot of their stuff is very pastoral Mm -hmm. reform brotherhood is all uh it's not quite um linguistically technical as yours is but it's very deep in historical confessional systematic theology yeah uh, my show steady anchor is uh hopefully it's an, an entryway point so like whenever mm-hmm. we use language i try to be uh, as thorough an explanation as possible to try and bring people in hopefully younger believers who were in the same position i was where just didn't know much and didn't really know where to start yeah so i wanted to have luke on the show because we we're just at the Doctrine and Devotion conference. I thought it would be good 
to do a little recap and talk about stuff that we liked, stuff that we maybe were left thinking about or mm. maybe had we were just questioning, uh, just to talk about um, covenant theology, specifically 1689 federalism, because we Ooh. are Reformed Baptists. Um, so after that, we're also going to get into Revelation 320. It's a verse that is commonly, um, it, it paints a picture of Jesus that I don't think is entirely faithful to the whole scope of who Jesus is. Mm. And so we'll explain that when we get there. Yeah. So first of all, Let's talk about the Doc and Devo conference. Sure, sure. So Doctrine and Devotion is another podcast. They're not part of our network, but they're two uh, Reformed Baptist confessional pastors in St. Charles. Uh, they were one of the first podcasts that I really got into in, it was really like my the summer after the freshman year of college for me, that I really started to listen to them. And just the the conversational tone, the way they kind of like jib jab at each other. They mm-hmm. like they like to poke and kinda mock each other a little bit. I was listening I okay, so I hadn't actually listened to them until yeah. after the conference, but I was listening to them and I'm thinking like, this is me and Luke in thirty years. <laughs> it's what we want to be. <laughs> it's like just the way they talk to each other, like yeah. Because it's kind of silly. They definitely poke fun. There's a lot of inside jokes and stuff. They're kind of rowdy. And people who are more serious about their theology don't always enjoy that. Like mm-hmm. some people's temperament, like the the lightheartedness, the jolliness of it just kind of turns them off, which is understandable because they are goofy guys. Yeah. Um, but the way that they apply historic, confessional, biblical theology to uh, to everyday life, the way they explain it and walk through these issues has been incredibly helpful for me. They've had like, I think like 450 something episodes now, and I've heard every one of them. And it's been tremendously helpful for just helping me think through a lot of these issues. They've worked through the whole London Baptist Confession of Faith. They're working through the Baptist Catechism now. And so, um, yeah, it's been super helpful for me. Uh, I actually, my mom and I moved to a city very close by um, after my sophomore year of college. Mm-hmm. And so whenever I would go home, I would go and uh, go to their church. I got coffee with Joe a couple of times and chatted with him about pastoral ministry and what church planning looks like, and he's offered me some great advice and encouragement. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always great to go back and see those guys. I was at the conference last year, and we went with a kind of a group of us this time. So yeah. it was a great time. I had a great time. Yeah, I had a great time, great time. as well. A really, a really good time. Great um, time. Was it a great time, Luke? It was a great time, Kevin. Okay, it was it was a great time until <laughs> Friday night, because <laughs> as Luke mentioned, his mom moved near the area, so we spent the night there. Um, it it would have just been too far for me to spend the night at my place with my wife and then drive all the way back. It it was like an hour and a half drive, so mm. it, it just. Wouldn't have been worth it. Um, yeah. and it's the, all it's all Chicago land for you all of these who aren't from Illinois. Yeah. So like my mom is in Elgin. The conference is, was in St. Charles, and you were in wherever you were. So well, I wherever mean, for, your mom is. Well, I mean, my I wouldn't have stayed with my parents, but there my parents are in um, Lake County, which is yeah. Uh, 
I think that's still an hour or an hour 15 from Elgin. Yeah. So it's all Chicago ish. Yeah. It's like, you know, when you're from out of state and there's no real good point of reference. Yeah. So like people are talking about like, oh yeah, I'm from Chicago, but they're actually from like Plainfield. Yeah. It's like nowhere near Chicago, but like Chicago is the only close reference point. So I actually just live in a cornfield, but it's it. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, we were like the first, actually the, the first two sessions, um, Sam had me kind of confused because he was making a really hard distinction between, um, the church in Israel mm. and most of the reform theology that I've learned, um, in part has been from Presbyterians because they are reformed and are really smart. So like mm. GK Beale has been, um, really influential on the reformed, like biblical theology that I understand. And so he, Sam was making this huge distinction, but I, what he was trying to avoid, I think, mm. um, was like to clarify between, um, like supersessionism between like, uh, one of the faults that dispensationalism tends to get into where like the church just replaces yeah. Israel. Um, and so he was saying like, you know, the covenants have a very important role to Israel and the new covenant also has an important role with Israel. So mm. it, it was interesting. But then we had dinner, which was fantastic. It was so good. Pork. Um, and I went back, we went back to Luke's mom's house and I'm allergic <laughs> to cats and dogs. And, and I have a cat and a dog. And so by the time we were going to sleep, I, my eyes were swollen. My nose was closing up and I thought I was going to die, but I w- yep. woke up. Everything was fine. <laughs> that was a good night though. It was fun. Like yeah. we had barbecue. We were hanging out with some great people. I got, got to meet, um, Alex from undying light. Yeah. So yeah. that was really fun. That was really fun. Yep. Free books, free book. Always yeah. a good thing. I was really jealous cause we were sitting right next to those free books and then we got up for seconds and <laughs> for food. And then, uh, as we were in line, they were like, Hey, if anyone wants these books, they're free. So I like jumped in <laughs> and tried to grab, there was like eight Spurgeon study Bibles just yep. sitting there. And I was like, I want one. Yep. And I missed it by a long shot. Yeah. I was, an, I was fortunately at the table, like eight feet from where the books were. Cause I was talking with Alex. And so we were one of the first ones to get up there. And so like he grabbed a Spurgeon study Bible. Um, I grabbed a couple things. I grabbed Creedal Imperative by Truman, mm-hmm. um, uh, an ESV scripture journal for Romans. I grabbed another one to another uh, one. do with another one, to, <laughs> so I could do a good study with that with Jess. Um, Unbreakable by what's this guy's name? Something Wilson, I think. Not Jared Wilson. Another Wilson. Doug Wilson. No, not Uh-oh. Doug Wilson. No, not a not a Doc and Evil. That way, you get us fired, Kevin. You get kicked out of the society. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no um, it was all a joke tony don't kill us i want to say it's andrew wilson but i i'd have to go back and check but it's a good short book just on why we trust scripture is because we trust jesus like so yeah. we were reading through that some together me yeah. and jess so so then the rest of so all day on saturday we spent in and out of sessions there'd be you know, a session, we take a break, a session, we took a break. And then Sam spoke for two sessions. That was, that was a killer. Yep. Cause well, before that we had lunch and that, so that, <laughs> that just made it even worse. Cause yeah. we were all full of food and Sam is 
he's a great speaker, but it was mm. it was just not the right time for two yeah. sessions in a row. He's I think. he's a compelling teacher. So like he's not a super loud or boisterous guy. He doesn't have a huge commanding stage presence, but you can tell he's comfortable in a classroom, right? Yeah. yeah. Like the way he's gesturing, the way he's lo- he's scanning the crowd, he's making eye contacts and stuff like that. But when you're going through like covenant after covenant after covenant, making these fine distinctions and hopping back and forth between dozens of verses in each section. Yeah. You, you start to get a little lost after a while. Yeah. And the room was getting warm and. Yep. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, is there anything like in I know you had mentioned that I'm curious if you were, if you're able to remember and articulate this. So I was late because of breakfast you skipped <laughs> breakfast on Saturday, but you had mentioned that Jimmy Fowler was talking about um, Genesis 2 and then the Levitical relationship. So I'm yeah. curious if you can remember and articulate it. So, okay, Th- this is weird because when you think about, like for me, whenever something, what am I trying to say? I'm used to getting to like a conference or something, especially when it's like run by Baptists, because we're a little like we're a little hot behind the schedule, you know. That's yeah. kind of our thing. We're kind of jolly. We kind of go with the flow, yeah. at least for the most part. This this conference especially, a lot of big jolly Baptists. It's yeah, a great time. They all. Joe pointed it out. He didn't recognize <laughs> you at first because everyone there is brunette and bearded, bearded and glasses everyone's wearing flannel they're all about the same height too like they all look the same which might be a bad thing we need to diversify a little bit yeah but also it's kind of hilarious yeah it was a good time yeah definitely a great crowd but what i'm saying is um what am i saying it's a good question genesis 2 genesis 2 (laughs) okay so i was used to stuff like starting late and so i left the house uh the the schedule said get there at 9, we'll start the first session at 9.15. That's at least what I remember. I, I get there at 9.10. I get there at 9.05, and he's already started. And I'm like, this is bizarre. <laughs> but when I get there, I get in and take my seat. We were in, like, the, the corner closest to the parking lot and, like, the four seats, just the yeah. four of us perfectly. So and I sit down, and I hear him talking about Adam being placed in the garden as God's representative, as <laughs> his image within the within the the garden temple of mm-hmm. sense that it's paralleled with the language of the command to keep and guard the the mm-hmm. garden is the same as God's commandment to the levites the levitical priesthood to keep and guard the temple did he talk about the word shamar uh he did not that okay. was that's probably the language he's referring to i know yeah. in part timothy brindle has a song about <laughs> this and um, I've also talked with Timothy Brindle himself on the phone about this topic. And he, <laughs> we talked about the word shamar yeah. and how that's used to, uh, well, first of all, it's used as like a standard word to learn our verb paradigms, mm. but it's also used in Genesis two to talk about guarding, like keeping, protecting the, the garden, but it's also used to talk about, um, in Leviticus to protect and guard and yeah. like, maintain the the temple yeah so but you're a little bit more of a nerd than jimmy is so that it makes sense i don't know <laughs> well, okay well i'm okay. a little more so so it was good and they, like you got there just minutes after that and mm-hmm. i was like kevin is gonna be upset that he missed that yeah. he only talked about it for like a minute and i'm still like ah kevin's gonna be mad yeah i was a little <laughs> upset but but it was really good um great time 
I was, I know I was um, really enjoying the clarifications between the covenants. Um, mm-hmm. I really liked that Sam had pointed out that the Mosaic covenant builds off of the Abrahamic covenant, mm-hmm. um, which I guess is something that I had like, I just hadn't put into words maybe like it made it, it just clicked. And I was like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. The, the Noahic builds off the Adamic, the Mosaic builds off the Abrahamic, the, mm-hmm. uh, the Davidic builds off of the Mosaic. Yeah. Yeah. Because, and he pointed out that the Davidic covenant puts a type onto the Mosaic covenant because the Mosaic covenant, like Moses wasn't the typological figure for, um, for the covenant. And so mm. he like, wasn't the me- he wasn't the federal representative. He yeah, was the mediator. Yeah, yeah. So uh like with the Adamic covenant, Adam was the federal representative, Noah is the federal representative of the Noahic, um Abraham, etc. But with Moses, he is not the um federal representative. So the it was really neat that he was pointing out that David kind of puts a face to the concept in mm-hmm. a way. Um, and yeah. here's what a pattern of the godly king looks like. Yeah. Here and, is, yeah. And like, I, as I've been saying with the, um, how I had kind of recognized it in scripture, but didn't really have the words for it. Like mm-hmm. I had recognized as I was reading through the old Testament that, that like there is the, if you do this, then this will follow like that constant yeah. theme throughout. A Moses. You will, I will. An yeah. If then covenant. Yeah. yeah. And so that's always important to point out as we're preaching out of the old Testament, but also um, just for our understanding of what the covenants are and their function mm-hmm. in their time. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was great. And he w- he did a good job of clarifying later on. I think he made a very sharp distinction, like you were talking about, in a way that was confusing to me at first. I mean, I had even I had read the book before his book, Mystery of Christ, His Kingdom and Covenant, and even I was still a little confused with how he was explaining it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if he clarified in the Abrahamic session on um, his distinction was not between like a covenanted people as in the elect, like a covenant of grace, um, because he agrees with classic covenant theology that God has one people across all time who are his elect. Like, that's not the distinction he was trying to make. Yeah. But he was clarifying against supersessionism, which is kind of the dispensational caricature of covenant theology, and also clarifying against the uh, Presbyterian conception of covenant theology where the abrahamic is an administration of the covenant of grace and all such things so mm-hmm. if you're looking for more information on those distinctions like kevin and i are not experts on covenant theology like I mean, we've you, only been studying these things for a year or two years maybe yeah um so if you if you go to distilling theology they've actually just had dr renahan on to explain the baptist perspective yeah and then dr carl truman and todd pruitt for the presbyterian perspective which is coming out soon go go so go listen to those yeah um i mean i would still defer to you before i like if anyone asked me i would defer to you because i (laughs) i'm not like an expert by any means at covenant theology like i can point out that they happened and the baseline of the concept in them but 
<laughs> you know enough death. to say that it's a thing, but you can't really describe <laughs> yeah. what the thing is. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's how I feel on a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, really, only my expertise on anything only comes from my time spent just reading and rehearsing what other people have explained. Yeah. So like, I spend enormous of, uh, amounts of time reading and listening and studying and whatnot. And so basically, I only sound smart because I copy people who are, you know? <laughs> That's <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, Spurgeon once said that that um, there is nothing new in the area of theology except that which is false. So I feel like if I just copy people who know more than I do and just say what they say, then I might be on a decent track. Yeah. I don't know. So yeah, I mean we're both only twenty one, so we've got a long road ahead of us. Of <laughs> we're working on it. Yeah. If you can, if you can find a compelling case from Scripture to explain alternate perspectives, then we're open to correction. But yeah. we're going to work with what we got for now. You just gave Tony a foothold. He's going to jump straight <laughs> at us as soon uh, as this releases, and he listens. He's going to go straight for us. Anyways, that's, that's another thing is that I'm in a couple different groups on Facebook, like chat groups and messenger groups and stuff, and. <laughs> two of the ones that I'm in with a bunch of Presbyterians, I mentioned to both about the conference. And the first one was the Reformed Podcasters group in which Tony is <laughs> did not find Mystery of Christ convincing. No. And Tony being a Presbyterian has a number of issues with that interpretation. Yeah. So that was an issue. <laughs> I a, love... It was a very lively discussion. Yes. It's a good time. And then I was also talking to... Um, another guy, one of the other meme lords on Facebook. Um, I don't know. It's weird because I don't know if he wants me to say only his name and not his face or his page or his page and not his name or neither. So I'll just say it's the guy who runs Dutch Reform memes um, talking about... (laughs) I said... I was talking about the conference and being like, no, no. There was very little anti-Presby polemics. Like, he wasn't... He wasn't shooting for other people. That wasn't the point of the conference. He only really expressed his disagreements when talking about the Abrahamic covenant. Hmm. And he was like, yeah, and that's where he's wrong. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. So now that we are, how far along are we? Uh, Oh, we're only 20 minutes in. Dude, I thought we were going a lot longer. That's fine. We're fine. Okay. So we're going to get to Revelation 3.20. Which, as I mentioned, um, this text gets taken out of context, um, not in the sense of some of the other verses that we have talked about before, um, mm-hmm. like Philippians 4.13 gets just straight out of context that, you know, you can do literally anything. Um, Jeremiah 29.11, like God has wonderful, magnificent plans and like you're never going to feel pain like that that is explicitly out of context. This verse in particular gets taken out of context to paint as Vody Bauckham says a sissified needy Jesus mm. where uh he's I wish I could just play the clip. I'm I might stitch <laughs> it in here. No, I won't. Um yeah. Cuz so so you're explaining in a sense how a lot of the other verses we've covered have been kind of stripped of their context so they're used to mean something that was very much not intended to say Mm -hmm. and in a similar way this verse is used outside of its context but almost to give an unbalanced view like in one sense it's true yes in one sense you're using it towards the right way but that's not really its intention yeah you're you're using it 
in a way that it was not written to convey the idea you're meeting. Yeah, it it gives too much weight. So like if um there there's like option A and option B, but option A is like what we should be giving more of the weight to. Um a lot of times this verse is taken and giving significantly more weight to option B. Um where it's valid and it's true, but it's not the correct balance. Mm. So I'm going to read the verse and then we'll talk about the context and a little bit. We've already been talking about how it has been taken out of context, so we won't spend too much more time there. So it's, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. So that's Revelation 3.20 from the New American Standard Bible. As we already mentioned, it's uh, taken out of context in the sense of um, just too much weight given in the wrong areas. Um, Mm. It paints Jesus in this like really uh, not powerful and, um, you know, he's not the Lord of glory when we, when we use it in this way of like, Jesus is just knocking at your heart and Mm. uh, asking to be let in and you can just calmly and gently reject him and there won't really be that there won't be a lot of con- uh, consequences yeah in doing so because we reread this text often in a modern understanding a modern cultural interpretation where we hear jesus is standing at the door and knock if you enter he'll come in and eat with you and when we interpret that as you might have seen the paintings of of white Aryan Jesus <laughs> knock knocking at the the door in the garden, and it's got this verse on it, and it's nice and light and flowy, and he's just out there like, please let me in. Yeah. I would love to come and eat lunch with you. Yeah, you know, I just want to be with you and spend time with you. Uh, and so we interpret this like Jesus is just a friendly visitor. He just wants to come in and have a good time and share a meal with you. And so we take it out of its its direct context of what the passage is actually saying, and we take it out of the context of the whole of Scripture, um, which is another, it's probably one of the main problems in, in churches today is a lack of letting the entirety of Scripture speak to these issues. Yeah. Because we let one verse, a handful of verses maybe, characterize who Jesus is to the exclusion of other critical verses. And we're all prone to this, right? Yeah. Like there are conservative churches who are all bent upon Jesus being the harsh, strong guy. He's all about truth. He's always whipping people and overturning temple, overturning tables and stuff. Mm-hmm. And while he does do things like overturn tables, mm-hmm. he is the Lord of glory. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the God of justice who will judge the wicked when he comes back. But that isn't all that he is. That is... To, to take those truths at the exclusion of others is wrong. Yeah. And so we have probably the more common side where people talk about Jesus, lowly, meek, and mild. He's just carrying sheep around and going around healing people and forgiving prostitutes and stuff. And he has not a care in the world. He doesn't care about your sin. He just mm-hmm. wants to be your friend. And if we take these things, these partial truths to the exclusion of the whole truth, we get a complete untruth. Yeah. And so we need to hold both of those in balance where I think in the very next chapter, um, Jesus is described as, uh, well, is it chapter four or five? I think it's chapter five where he's described as having, 
Ah, jeez, I'm getting all confused. Anyways, <laughs> I, at some point in these first what couple chapters, about? he's described as having like fire in his eyes, a oh. sword for a tongue. I and... think that's that's the beginning of one. Okay, it's either the one or in five when it switches to the yeah. next scene. I think it's the beginning of one. You're right. It may be a little bit of both. I get it's s- been a while. Revel- yeah, it's been a it's been a while. So forgive me, but I'm now that I think about it, it's. I'm going to just commit and say beginning in <laughs> chapter one, that's when it happens. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, whatever. Um, but I do know that he is pictured as, you know, coming on the clouds with glory and he's got fire in his eyes, a sword for a tongue to divide. Mm. Um, his feet are like hot bronze, like mm-hmm. glowing, um, you know, clothed in white. And so it's this really powerful image mm-hmm. to set the stage for these letters that John uses as a preface to the rest of um, the revelation that he gives. And so here in, within the specific context, this is the seventh of seven letters where he's, John is writing to Laodicea, which is a church that's, and I'm sure many of us have heard um, people talk about um, the context of this verse to refute the idea of um, you're either on fire, hot, um, you're either on fire hot for Jesus or you're ice cold to him. And, you know, it's either one way or the other. And then people have been putting out videos or uh, podcast episodes talking about how that's not exactly the cultural context where Laodicea had two different uh, aqueducts yeah. and stuff. Um, yeah, they had two nearby sources of water, one yeah. which was cold, which helped in one sense, one which was hot and helped in another sense. Yeah, because, you know, you can make like hot tea or use hot water to... Um, Has soothing medicinal yeah, got, effects, yeah. cool water is refreshing. Yeah, cool. And yeah. if you don't get it from the right source, then the water is just lukewarm and not good for either of those things. Yeah, so. it's not doing anything. It's just, I think the um, actual like Greek word what like refers more to something like tepid like it's just stagnant mm. like it's not doing anything it's not pr- like it's it's not producing anything useful mm. and so that's the idea that i'm also still mad that it got translated as lukewarm <laughs> you should just be mad that your name is luke yes <laughs> um but yeah the so the context is that specifically with laodicea um, Paul is, or not Paul. Why did I, I always say Paul. I, sometimes I'll be talking about Peter and I'll say Paul. <laughs> you, you Pauline Christian. Oh, you, whatever. You don't, you don't follow Jesus. You just follow Paul. You mm. predestinationist, you. Shut up. <laughs> John believed in predestination too. I just screwed up my so words. So did Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to say that Jesus was a Calvinist because that's. It's a t- little anachronistic. It's taken a step too far. Um, <laughs> So was, the com- he a, was he a monergist? Definitely. Yes. Yes. That's why he came to Earth. Anyways, I wish I had the the button. I need to get those sound effects. I'd have so much fun with them. We can't just just steal all of distilling theology stuff. But I would have so much fun with it. You would. Okay. So yeah, as as we were saying, the context is. Um, John is trying to correct this church that isn't producing much fruit in their faith. They're just kind of standing by and not really doing much. And so he's pushing them to um, do things. So Mm -hmm. like in um, 
verse 17, he says, but you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. So it's this idea of like, I don't need to do much. And John says, you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And then 18, he says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I salve uh, to anoint your eyes so that you may see. And obviously John is speaking on behalf, behalf of, of Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then he continues saying, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, therefore be zealous and repent. And so that is verse 19, where we get an immediate context of Christ speaking through John to tell the church in Laodicea to repent. There's mm-hmm. an urgency of repentance. And then we get, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. And so one thing that is helpful in coming across passages like this, where it's on its surface, it seems to mean what it is often preached to mean. Mm-hmm. Jesus is knocking into your life and trying to yeah. trying to enter in and you usually just need, used evangelistically yeah like hey sinner jesus is knocking you just gotta you can choose to leave him outside or you can choose to let him in yeah it's up to you even though that's not what the the text says mm. um we should also look for similar passages throughout the new testament where christ speaks in a similar way of um knocking on a door um or dining with people. And so there's two passages that I'm going to go to. Um, I don't know if you want to pull up the second one. Uh, um, my phone battery's low. Okay. Sorry, I'll, I'll pull up both of them and I'll read them. Um, so the first one we've got is Mark 13, 32 to 37, where it says, Jesus is speaking and he's talking about the last days. And he says, he's using a parable. He says, but on that day or hour, no one knows specifically um, referring to the return of Christ and the final judgment, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. It is like a man away on a journey who, upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming whether in the evening at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you all be on the alert. So we get this picture of Jesus saying that the second coming when he will return is going to be sudden. It's going to be in an instant. And so we need to be on the alert. And he uses this imagery of he's giving authority to his servants, to his, uh, slaves, um, as a master would, and he's leaving for a time and saying, keep until almost like we were talking about with, mm. um, uh, the Genesis two and Levitical idea of mm. a temple and like keeping and tilling it and guarding it. Yeah. Um, it's that same idea of guarding. We, we, what have, we have a command. Yeah. We have a responsibility to steward what has been given to us. Yeah. And Jesus is using the, uh, same number. I'm getting a private call from a private number right now sketchy i'm not answering it 
Good. They'll probably leave me. What if it's Bethel calling me? Oh my gosh. If you didn't hear, Luke got emails. Oh my gosh. <laughs> from Bethel School of Supernatural oh Ministry. Oh my gosh. It's really funny. And it seems like that's kind of been a thing going around. Like, not to you, but like our friend also got a call from like Hillsong College. Okay, that was Brian. Or that was either Brian or. Or Landon, because he has Landon's number. Landon said he didn't do it, though. Where, I don't know, man. He said it might be his girlfriend, though. So Whoever it is has... Because mm. we were... Okay, we were coming back from the conference Saturday night, and I had a great time, and I was living life, and we were eating Taco Bell, and I checked my phone, and I have three emails from Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. And that alone is enough to set me off. And then I open it up, and it's like, hey, you've been waitlisted for our preview day for Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. Let us know when I can talk to you. And I'm getting out of my car to go to class this morning, and I get a call, and he's like, hi, I'm Brian from Bethel. What can we tell you about Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry? And it's basically like, I don't know who gave you my stuff, but I don't want to go there. Like, trying to be gracious as possible, but please take me off your list and he's like oh okay that that's fine that's so, really funny so whoever it was who thought it'd be funny to just give all of my information to bethel i will find you <laughs> okay so that was a really long side tangent so back to this picture of jesus he's coming and so we're gonna go to luke um Chapter 12. Right here. And we're going to... Get, get it? Yes, yeah, shut up. Get it, get it. Stop it. Stop <laughs> it. <laughs> that means you should just be able to recite this passage. I wish. Uh, so we're going to read 35 to 48 in Luke chapter 12. And this is a similar uh, parable, if not like Luke is... It's possible that Luke is using the same parallel that the same parable that mark had used but he's just expanding upon it perhaps that's what some people would say but um so this is what it says starting in verse 35 be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit uh this is a parable of um a wedding feast and keeping the the lamps ready the bride and bridegroom would return with and you'd have to have your lamps lit do you have anything else to say about that? That's all that I could come up with off the top. Yeah, I mean, you're you're definitely getting at the right point. The idea that this topic is not referencing Jesus as just another passerby who's coming and and giving you an offer, just accept me or reject me. It's up to you. No, it's it's the picture of the risen Christ speaking to his church, to his delegated servants, mm-hmm. and. The door is closed for whatever reason. He's calling them to repentance because they're not welcoming him. Welcoming him in. Well, let's keep reading. And yeah, okay, yeah. I was just I'm asking, jumping ahead. So yeah, you I was. I was just asking if you had anything passage. else about the the context of this passage. Sorry, I'm but, being distracted no. by our group chat. Someone's, yeah, they changed my name to Bill Johnson the <laughs> second. <laughs> they did what? They they changed my nickname in from our Bible study group chat to. Bill Johnson the second. Originally, it was Joseph, <laughs> Joseph Smith the second. Yeah, that's hilarious. Anyway, okay. So be dressed in readiness. Keep your lamps lit. 
be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast, so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. So this is this is the idea of mm-hmm. be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast, so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. So that's uh, really similar language to what Jesus is saying, except he's using like a first person yeah. instead of uh, the third person used here. So uh, I'll continue. Blessed, uh, this is verse 37. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and, w- and wait on them. Whether he comes in the second watch or even in the third and finds them also, blessed are those slaves. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give from their rations at the proper time? Blessed is the slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that slave says in his heart, my master will be a long time in coming and begins to beat his slaves, beat beat these slaves, both men and women, bless you. Sorry. And to eat and drink and get drunk. So it's now it's turning to this picture where Jesus is saying, look, if you are a slave and you're watching over other slaves and you abuse your authority, here's the threat that is coming to Mm -hmm. you. The master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Mm. And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will will receive many lashes. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required, and to whom they entrusted much of him they will ask all the more. So there's a lot there, but it's all along the same lines of talking about this idea of the master giving authority to slaves over his own property and coming back at a time that they don't know. Mm -hmm. And so he's expecting them to have prepared and kept the house up in good condition, um, keeping it ready for when the master would return so that he doesn't, you know, have to do anything. Mm -hmm. It's ready for him. And if they do well, then he's going to dine with them. He's going to celebrate. Hey, I'm back, guys. Mm-hmm. This in is a great time. In some sense, he's even going to serve them. They will yeah. share the master's privileges. Yeah, he's. it's a beautiful, like, this is true servitude. Like, the master is treating his servants like his own children or his own siblings, in a mm-hmm. sense. Like, they're part of the family. Yeah. We and, become co-heirs with Christ. Yeah. And if we don't uphold what we are told to uphold, there are serious consequences. Mm -hmm. If we know the will of the master, if we know what he has commanded us, first and foremost, to repent and turn to him, secondarily, to uphold the law in gratitude of our salvation, um, if we don't do those things, we've got some serious consequences coming. Yeah. We'll be thrown in the lake of fire. Yeah. As Revelation, like as John later explains. 
Um, and so some, and I agree with the people who do this, who say that in um, Revelation 3.20, this is a very short and condensed allusion to these longer parables mm. where, you know, when Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock, it's a, it should be an automatic like, oh, there it is. That's yeah. the that's It's the Jesus parable. speaking then, it's Jesus speaking now. Yeah. He's making a connection. Yeah. So there's this connection of we need to hear his voice and open the door and be ready to welcome him into his own home. Mm. It's not our, like, it's not anything that we own because we also got to remember that we're the creatures. Yeah. Like Jesus is the creator. Anything that we think we own, we don't own any of it. Yeah. This is is, all, it's all his. It is all a gift. It is all of grace. Any power and authority that we have is all delegated. Yeah. And he has the right to revoke it when he so chooses. And the fact that he has given us this blessing, the the privilege of stewarding what he has given to us, means there is greater judgment when we misuse it. Yeah. And so the idea is if we open the door out of, you know, excitement and gratitude that he's back, then he's going to dine with us. We're going to celebrate that he has come. But Mm -hmm. if he has to open the door himself because we've fallen asleep and become lazy and haven't been expecting him, then there's serious consequences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. because it's important to remember that this this is written to the church. This is written to his external body. And so, like, it's it's not a reference of, obviously, we know that those who are truly regenerate, those who are the elect of God, will be those who are ready and waiting for eagerly for his return, yeah. right? Yeah. But he's speaking to the visible church, those in Laodicea, who are not acting as if they are the true and faithful ones. They are on the verge of judgment because they're not living out their calling, to steward what he's given them as servants in the master's house, waiting eagerly for his return. And so, again, to make this contrast, it's not like Jesus just giving this invitation, like, hey, I'll come hang out with you if you're free. No, it's, it's Christ the master coming back to his home. And if he finds his servants being disobedient and not diligent when he returns, there will be serious consequences. As you said that, as you said, like, Jesus isn't saying, hey, I just want to hang out with you. I straight up remember having a youth pastor tell me that he would wake up early in the morning and have breakfast with Jesus. <laughs> Which, like, I guess... <laughs> I know what you're trying I to say, I know what man. you're getting at, but also... not Like, it's not what this passage is <laughs> trying to get at. And you, ha- okay, so we had It's a real youth pastor way to say that. Yeah. <laughs> he was also like in his 40s. So it was like really strange. But he also had like ridiculous amounts of energy. Dude was, dude was nuts. <laughs> Anyways, um, so the, the primary force of this is that Jesus is the master of his house. He's coming. Um, we need to be on watch, um, constantly doing good works and preparing his house. Um, for his return but the the secondary implication of this um does have to do with repentance like we Mm. we hear it a lot in evangelistic type of messages um where jesus is knocking and you know you need to i don't like the language of saying invite him into your heart because i'm not convinced that there's anything that we do that allows jesus into our heart he just kicks the door down and comes in (laughs) There's, there's, They're already dead. Yeah, there is nothing within a 
a dead, unregenerate, fallen sinner that wishes to invite Jesus in. Yeah. It takes a supernatural work where God removes the heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh for our desires to change yeah. so that we can desire fellowship with him. Yeah. But God must be the initiator. It can never be his response to our action. It can never be us cooperating. It has to be his work and his work alone. Yeah. But you had mentioned before we recorded that the Puritans used this verse in a similar way that yeah. we sometimes hear it. Um, so yeah. I, I don't want to, ca- like, I want to caution us that we don't, swing the pendulum in one way or the other too far um mm-hmm. because sometimes we hear like this sissified like soft idea and we want to run away and go the other direction and make jesus this really hard brutal warrior which mm. in a sense like he is a warrior but we, but that's not all that we he don't is. we don't want to lose the the gracious and compassionate and gentle and caring side of jesus yeah. in in our correction of Mm -hmm. misuse of scripture. Because there is a secondary sense in which this is applicable in terms of evangelism. Again, it must be used in the right context. It's not, you know, applying to an autonomous sinner who just has the freedom and the the liberty to just choose, maybe I think I will like Jesus. No, it's it's God's work which changes the sinner's heart, which enables him to love Christ and seek Christ. But it is a call though. It is a call to repentance that we give in evangelism. When we say, when we tell the sinner that Christ knocks at their heart, what we what we don't mean is that Jesus is, is waiting feebly, just eagerly longing for a relationship with them, and he can't do it until they accept it. And then we, he's going to just walk away, like, silently like, weeping you know, after just, you reject him. Just have him, invite him in while he's still there, because he's got to move on some way, sometime or the other. No, it... The picture is that, sinner, the day is coming when Christ is going to come in judgment. And when that day comes, there will be no second chances. And so now while the offer of the gospel is open, when Christ is extending his hand in fellowship to you, if Christ is drawing you by his spirit, by the will of the Father, into relationship with him, do not resist. Turn to him and be saved. He is the gracious God who calls to you, who gives you the option. That if God God is working in your heart, if he is changing you from the inside out, if he is showing you the wretchedness of your own sin, as he's shown to me and Kevin, Mm -hmm. that we did not deserve salvation, we do not deserve grace. That's the essence of grace, that it is undeserved. But that God in his gracious love and mercy looked at us as dead sinners, breathed new life into us, and chose us as his children despite all of our failures, despite all of our sin and intentional rejection of him, then he can do the same for you. If anyone is listening to this today and is living in sin, then heed that same warning to the church. Be zealous and repent because Christ is coming and he is coming soon. If you are outside of Christ, if you have no faith in Christ, turn to him, because the offer of forgiveness is open so long as you still draw breath. But your days are numbered, and you don't know when the number is up. So turn while the offer is still open to you. Wow, that was really good. Preach it, bro. I tweeted out this morning about preaching the gospel to somebody. Yeah. And I got, <laughs> like, if if it's over the internet, at least that's as much as I can do, that that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah. Our friend Josh, it's, he came up to me and a few other guys and was like, do you want the honor? And we were like, 
I don't know what you're going to ask me to do because sometimes he asks us like really weird stuff. And so Nick was like, sure, I'll take the honor. And he goes, share the gospel with me. (laughs) That's awesome. And it it was really cool. It was like, oh yeah. Wow. Thanks for that. So thanks for encouraging us to, thanks for encouraging us in the gospel. Heckin repent. Yeah. (laughs) Because like in all seriousness, the word repentance is difficult. It is it is dangerous because it tells me that I am in the wrong and that I need to change. I need to run and flee from my sin, and I don't have that power within myself. Mm-hmm. And so the call to repent is and always a call to turn away from sin and turn to Christ. And it's something we always have to do. Uh, Luther famously in his first of the 95 Thesis says that when Christ called us to repent, he meant that the entire Christian life should be one of repentance, mm-hmm. that we are always every day turning from our sin and turning to Christ, who is the only one who can satisfy the desires of our hearts yeah. because he's made us for himself. Yeah. So, and this is also a really good message just for us Christians in general. Like if you are in a spot in your life where you are um, maybe slowing down in your, in your walk with Christ or starting to get lukewarm in a sense, like there's not much growth. There's not much movement. It seems like things have plateaued, like take encouragement to get up and work, not just out of your own, brute strength Mm. and just trying to sheer will it but out of gratitude and excitement that any second the lord will come Mm. we don't know when it will be but be working out of uh be working in diligence out of excitement that the lord is coming soon Mm. and so um and we can't just white knuckle sanctification right right it's only by the work of the spirit within us that we can produce the fruit of the spirit yeah so, man, that was a really good episode. I, I had, think so. I had a great time. Uh, anything else you want to add? I'm all good. I'm losing my voice, man. Okay. <laughs> well, I've decided that I'm going to... I I haven't had an actual good way to end my episodes, and I've been really thinking about how to end it. And I just decided I'm going to say, read your Bible, bro. That's it. Read your Bible, bro. It's a good way to end. All right. For real this time. (laughs) Read your Bible, bro. Thanks for listening to this episode of Christ in Context. If you enjoyed the episode, give us a rating and a review through Apple Podcasts or whatever streaming app you use to listen. And subscribe to be notified when new content is posted. You can find us on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Christ in Context Pod and Twitter at CNC Podcast. If you have a question that you would like to hear answered on the show, reach out on social media or email us at christincontextpod at gmail.com. We are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters and Doctrinal Discipleship. For other edifying material, check out reformedpodcasts.com and Doctrinal Discipleship either on Facebook or doctrinaldiscipleship.com.